The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. In this episode, there are references to sexual, mental and or physical abuse and could trigger some listeners. Please switch off now if you think this episode could be upsetting. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had a good week. Um, We've had some great guests on in the last couple of weeks. Sorry over Easter, I had to play a repeat, but I thought you would all be so busy meeting your family and friends for Easter Sunday that I decided, look, I wouldn't put one of my guests on that day that you might all miss. I would save it for the next week. So today live from scotland we're not live because we're on a podcast but we have leandra from ljv coaching who's a life coach and a counseling student now i met leandra i think about two or three months ago when she was watching some of my lives on instagram and she started commenting and then i said to her well i looked up her profile and i thought oh that's someone good so she came and joined me for a live and we had such a good chat and we had such good feedback from everybody that i said look let's put your story down on a podcast so that people can listen to it at their leisure and because sometimes with a live you find that you're trying to read comments and you're not taking in everything that's being said and i think her story is quite powerful because she's very inspirational She's been through some tough times. She's come out the other end and now she's helping other people, which I think is a great thing because when you've been through tough times, it can be really rewarding for you to go and help others because you can empathise and be compassionate and really have those values close to your heart when you're talking to people. So here's Leandra. How are you, Leandra? I'm great, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I feel really honoured to be a guest because I'm a huge fan. I love listening to your podcast. (laughs) That's fantastic news. (laughs) Well, as I was saying, when we had the live, you know, I didn't, I I hadn't spoken to you before I did the live. I don't think we had spoken and you just came on and was a guest and we talked about so many different things and your life story has had its peaks and troughs, hasn't it? And you've got yourself to a position now where you are doing phenomenal stuff for yourself. I mean, you've gone back to uni to do study counselling. You're already working as a life coach. I think you're a spiritual teacher as well for men and women. Uh, Wow, I've got a good memory. I can remember all this stuff about (laughs) you. Um, So I wanted you to come on from Scotland and uh, talk about yourself and tell us about your life and let people see how inspirational you are and encouraging you are. And, you know, you're a perfect fit for this show because I like people who are out there and doing things for themselves and, you know, whatever's happened in the past, you've worked through that and you've moved to a better position. It doesn't mean you've forgotten what's happened in your past, but you've brought that all into you and now you're able to help others. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Africa in a country called Zambia. And I come from a mixed uh, race background, uh, very mixed. So I have African, English, Greek and Native American background. Wow. 
Yes. <laughs> um, my whole life growing up in Zambia was very much um, family orientated, even though I was an only child. But I had a, a very big family in terms of cousins and aunties and uncles and all that. Um, and we were always part of a unit. And I always loved the whole cultural experience of community and being of service, you yeah. know, and, and helping people. So I always saw myself as a little helper and I loved animals as a child and I wanted to be a vet and, you know, like save every animal on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> um, then going to school, I went to a convent school, so very religious upbringing. Yeah. And um, it was quite difficult for me with, with that sort of setting because I, I very much loved the teachings from, from school or from church and that. But at the same time, I always felt like there was a deeper connection with something else just from within you know yeah. like I didn't I felt like sometimes I didn't need to go to like church or anything like that because I felt like everything that I needed was already within me and I yeah. just sort of had to tap into it um so growing up I was raised by my mom and uh, my stepfather um he was in and out of our lives not very um permanent and he had like drug and alcohol problems and at the age of eight, I was um, sexually abused by my stepfather. Wow. And yeah, and this was something I never spoke about. I never mentioned to anyone. I never told anyone. So I kept the secret my whole life, basically. And every so often, the trauma would haunt me. Yeah. And I would, would go through spells uh, through my teenage years of total confusion as to why did this happen to me? You know, just couldn't get my head around it because obviously I, I didn't reach out to anyone for help at that point in my life. And um, so when I was around 16, 17, I started to smoke cannabis. Um, I started to take uh, drugs like acid, LSD, that sort of thing. Um, and I just became a rebel of a child um, for a while. And at the same point in my life, my mom kind of sprung onto me who my real father was because my whole upbringing with my stepfather, I didn't, I saw him as my real father and he was recognized as my stepfather. So all these things came to like light in my life and it was just too much to process. So I was really depressed. I was in a real dark place for a long time. And I, I tried to take my life a couple of times. Um, one time I was taken to hospital because I, um, I almost OD'd on, on tablets. And yeah, it was just real darkness in my life. But every time I went through those dark periods in my life, there was always this voice that spoke to me and said to me, you're here for greatness. Yeah. You're here to serve a purpose. And... I felt like it was like some where maybe someone would interpret that as God or an extra a terrestrial or, you know, just something greater speaking to me. And I kept listening to that voice. I didn't give up on that voice. And I used it as my guiding light. So when I was in my 20s, um, I decided to leave Zambia because 
I just felt I needed a change in my life. I felt that that chapter had come to an end. And so I went over to the UK and I was in London, just outside London, because I have a big family network out there. And my brother lives out there. So I lived with them for a couple of months and then came up to Scotland and decided, you know what, I actually love Scotland. So I'm going to settle here. So I'd met someone. We got quite serious quite quickly. Um, within two years, I was married. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> it was just so super fast, but life was good. Everything was going well, you know, settled and stuff. Every so often, I would still have these sort of traumas coming up, you know, with the abuse and with everything else. But I just suppressed it, kind of just suppressed it. I was working, I was just doing the normal nine to five job, married. And then my marriage started to fall apart and sort of went back into a spiral again of depression. And um, at that point in my life, I was what 28 years old. And I don't think back then there was a lot of recognition when it came to mental health and mental well-being. And I'd suffered a miscarriage as well at the end of that marriage. And I never really got the help that I needed for it. I never sought like counseling or anything I just thought you know what I'll deal with this myself yeah stubborn yeah so all these things were sort of like you know how you have a little like bottle getting pumped with like you know the soda stream machines to remember them where you pump the gas and yeah I kind of felt like that like I was going to explode but I was afraid what was going to happen because I knew my history of with um suicide attempts and and all of these dark things and I was so scared and then someone said to me you know you should really maybe try and seek counseling it might help you so I I did go to a couple of counseling sessions but my head was just not in the right place I was just all over the place I think I went into it with the thought of maybe they would give me answers to fix my life yeah but yeah, that wasn't the case. So I just came away from it. And then I sort of started going down the spiritual path again. So when I was in Zambia, um, I worked for a mining company. I studied in gemology, but I also studied uh, crystal healing. Yep. And I remembered how great I felt when I used crystals for healing, especially with the chakras and, and all of that. So I joined a little group of of people that were were healers, crystal healers. And I used to go to a place up in Findhorn in Scotland. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, There's a foundation up there called Findhorn Foundation. It's a very spiritual place, but Findhorn itself is just a magical place. Anyone that's been there would probably agree with me. There's just a different vibe that goes on there. I think um, the, the only things I really can remember about Scotland is Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, and the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the Loch Ness, I love, um, like, up in Inverness. So I used to spend time because I lived on that coastal line on the Maori Coast. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I used to go to Findhorn, basically, when I felt like I was sort of low in energy and I just needed a pick me up. I would go and spend, like, a day out there at the beach. And it's just stunning. It's such a beautiful place so I started to journey on my spiritual path again 
and sort of started reading books. Uh, Deepak Chopra. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, really big into his books and Eckhart Tolle as well. Yep. And sort of trying to understand the meaning of life, my purpose yeah. and searching for it, you know. So this went on for a good 10 years on and off the spiritual journey. And in that time, I became a mom as well. I met someone else, became a mom, had two children. And then my son, after two years, we realized that there was something not quite right with him in terms of his abilities. And um, we started to undergo tests for autism and ADHD and sort of thing. So just before his fourth birthday, he finally got his uh, diagnosis of autism. And um, so I, at that point, I had given up work entirely. I was looking after my two children and sort of the primary carer for my son. Um, he had a speech delay and where we lived was quite remote. So to get like the services, you know, from the NHS for speech therapy and all that was quite difficult. We'd have to travel um, an hour and a half either way, like to Aberdeen or up north near Inverness. Yeah. Um, so it was becoming really, really tricky. Um, and it was taxing as well on my relationship because my partner at the time, um, he worked on the oil rigs. So he was away from home yeah. um, quite a lot. And I was left with two young children isolated in a little town just on the coast of in Mori called Cullen. And I just I had no friends. I had no family. And I felt so alone and again started to slip into that sort of dark space. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm jumping back and forth. In this period of time, I'd also suddenly lost my mom in Africa. Um, she had a heart attack and, and died suddenly. And so I was carrying all this weight uh, of suppressed, um, yeah, suppressed energy, I say. Depression is suppressed energy. And a energy. lot of negative energy. Yeah, yeah. So... Again, I went back to the doctors. Uh, they asked if I wanted to go on tablets, and I refused. I said, no, I'm not going down that route. You know, is there another way? And they said, counseling. And I said, okay. You know, it didn't work the first time, but I'll give it a, a bash again. And I got this amazing counselor, uh, a grief uh, counselor, and we sort of worked through my grief, and then the other things started to come up abuse yeah the, the suicide and, and all of that and the work that I did with this counselor was just phenomenal it just unraveled layers to myself you know every time I went to a session I felt like there was something pulled back we talked through it yeah I went home I journaled I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I think because I was getting it out I was feeling so much better yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I realized then, you know, like, you know, this is something I would like to do for people as well. And I I looked up everything to go to, to college and uni about going to counseling and that. And I bottled it, like last minute bottled it because I just, I felt so emotional still, you know, it was just like yeah. an open wind. Yeah. So I carried on being mom at home supporting my children 
and then my relationship sort of ended after seven years of being with their father and we went our separate ways and I moved from that place and I moved I'm now just outside Edinburgh in West Lothian and I moved re really for my son because I wanted him to get the support network for skill yeah and um yeah, just to give him a sort of normal life, you know, even though he was autistic. So I decided to put him into a mainstream school yep. um, to help him that way. And yeah, that was my journey from 2016. So the first year took like settling in, getting the kids into a routine and that. And then I thought to myself, what is it that I really want to do in my life? You know, I just felt like, worked in so many industries and yet um, there's nothing I can do right now with what I, I have, you know, the knowledge that I have. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't want to work a nine to five job. I, I want to do something more meaningful, you know? So I signed up to volunteering and I think that sort of gave me a purpose because I felt good again, working with people. Yeah. So I, I volunteered, I still volunteer in an elderly home and it was uh, through befriending and uh, we had a lunch club and we would also have like recreational stuff for them, like bingo and that sort of thing. And I just found comfort and joy in sitting around elderly people and listening to their stories and their perception on life yeah. and the things that we take for granted and, you know, it just put a lot of things into perspective for me and made me realize, you know, I do want to help people. I do want to serve, but I don't know how to do this. I was still scared. I had this fear block, you know, limited belief. Limited beliefs, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't do it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to college. And I was um, 39 at the time. And so I went back to college, but I decided to go into beauty therapy because I've always liked sort of beauty and that sort of the pamper and, uh, treatments and all that. And in that, I still thought, you know what, even though the, the service is for like the beauty industry, there's still a service of being there for someone, you know, caring yeah. for someone. Yeah, yeah. I still looked at it. I looked at it at that angle. So I went into college. I was in my first year, just completing my first year. And then we got hit by the pandemic. Yeah. And we all had to work from Zoom and learn from Zoom. And I find it so challenging because I've been a beauty um, course. You, need, you know, you need a client to, yeah, to learn treatments on. And my children were too young to try and do any treatments on and that, you know. Yeah. So I found it so challenging and homeschooling and everything. So I spoke to one of my lecturers at college who was actually my communications lecturer. And she said to me, I see you doing other things in your life because you're such a great speaker and you're such a great advocate. She says, everything that you do, I feel like there's a passion behind everything you do. So don't put yourself in a box and say, this is all that I can do because I see more for your future. Yeah. And she said to me, why don't you try and study public speaking or coaching? And I said, oh, I don't see myself as doing that because I'm, I'm too afraid to talk in public. Yeah. And she said, but you can overcome this, you know. So I sat with it and then I went online and I started following people like Mel Robbins, Tony Robbins. 
Joe Dispenza learning because I've always liked stuff to do with psychology and um, NLP and that sort of thing. And I found such an interest in, in all of this. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and study uh, spiritual development and personal development because I think um, I'll learn a lot from it, number one. And I will heal a lot of my own sort of self um, beliefs and limiting beliefs. And I can help people. You know, I saw it as learning to then educate others, but not as a business sort of point of view, you know, just to share knowledge. So in lockdown, I joined a couple of personal development groups that were doing sort of freelance coaching online. And we used to meet up as a group of people, maybe 20, 30 of us at a time. And it was really nice because with with not having physical contact with people in lockdown, that was a great way of keeping that sort of community thing that I liked so much, you know, and connection with people. And I was studying at the same time. So it took me about a year and I completed my, my studies in spiritual development, uh, personal development. And I also became a meditation instructor and redid my crystal healing certificate as well. Yeah. And so I used to run free Zoom calls for people as well during the lockdown that were struggling with sort of, sort of spiritual awakenings. So the way I would interpret that was, was like when I went through my profound spiritual awakening, I sort of felt like I was going crazy, basically put it that way. Yeah. I started to feel things. I started to um, sense like my intuition was so much stronger the telepathic sort of energy around me was so great. Like I could think of someone and my phone would ring and it was that person. Wow. It was just, yeah, strange things were just happening around me. And I just knew it was just this connection, you know, that I had. So one of the things that I did in, in lockdown with a group of friends was I said, let's try something out. This is it's just going to, it's either going to help us learn or grow, or it's going to actually heal something within us. So we did a little like 40 days of what I classed as a, a cleanse and a reset. And it, this was like no alcohol, no television, meditation twice a day some form of exercise once a day and reading or podcast or audiobook or whatever. Yeah. What like every day listen to something and journaling. And we did this for 40 days. And it was something that I just wanted to see if it really worked, not only for myself, but for other people. And at the end of that 40 days, everyone said to me, they felt such a different connection to everything and everyone around them. It's almost as if whatever toxins that were in the body, whether it was through the alcohol, food or television, whatever, all these substances were removed. And then it was the true self now connecting with everything. Because my one of my beliefs is we are all connected to each other and to the earth and to everything, you know. So that's when I felt like, you know, this is something really great and I want to take it further. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to start a coaching business. 
So yeah, on the 1st of May last year, 2021, I launched LJV Coaching and I set it up as just a free coaching business at, at the start. I wasn't charging any clients or anything like that. I just wanted to help people because so many people had been struggling with mental health in lockdown. That was another thing I did in lockdown as I, I did a mental health certificate yep. um, to just be there to for people to call and talk to when they were feeling down and that. And yeah, I felt like because I was given this opportunity to find my purpose, not many people find their purpose in life. And I felt I had to give back something to people. And in that was, I had to empower people and show them who, like the potential that I saw in them and make them see that in themselves. So that's how I started. And I worked mainly with, um, with women that were either abused or had been in abusive relationships and that sort of thing and lost their confidence completely. And I created a little product called this, the self-love jar. And in this little jar, it's a little glass jar, it had 21 days of affirmations and it had a crystal rose quartz heart and just some other little bits and bobs. And I sold this product um, and most of the money that I raised, I put it to my son's charity, the autism charity. Yeah. But everyone that tried out that product came back with such positive feedback to say, you know, the affirmations, seeing them every day, how they they changed their beliefs, their yeah. limiting beliefs, how they started to structure the the love that they have for themselves, you know, and believe in themselves. Because yeah. a lot of them were seeking validation from outside from their partners or friends or families or whatever and not from themselves so kind of turned this around and yeah it was it was working and so I did I launched that project and I did that for like six months and I did some sort of online um, workshops free workshops again with understanding energies because I work with like the divine masculine and the divine feminine energy this is sort of like the yin and the yang within ourselves and yeah. how we can heal this to become a better version of ourselves. So these were the sort of things that I was working on and still am working on. And just recently I've gone back to college and I'm studying um, to become a counselor. So I'm doing my counseling skill certificate and that will be for a year. And then next year I will be off to do my diploma in CBT. Wow. So you've done so much, you know, and look, I don't generally take notes when I'm talking to people, but because there were so many different parts of your life I wanted to bring up and have a chat with you about, I have written notes because I think uh, some of it for people listening uh, to get some more in-depth information about different parts of your life and how you manage through them would be beneficial to them and also from your learnings, you know, because you're quite open about what's happened to you. And I think that's what's really good because the more people who are open about what happens to them in their life and then other people hearing those stories, it allows those people to to say to themselves, look, it isn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. This is what happened to me and this is how I can move forward, even if it takes a while. Uh, And that's what I like is the openness. So I wanted to ask you, because when you were talking about you were abused by your stepfather, 
you said that when you became a teenager, so does that mean that he abused you when you were under a teenager? Yes, I, I was between the age of eight and nine Wow! Um, when it happened, yeah. And with your stepfather, did he stay with your mum after that? Because you, you didn't, I don't think you said that you told your mum. So was she oblivious to what had happened and she still stayed with him even though he was in and out of your life? Yeah, so what happened, he would come into my mom's life. He was just like a, a tornado, come in, stir up stuff, be there for six, eight months, a year, then disappear, literally vanish Wow. for, for like three, four years and then come back. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, my mom had lost a lot of her confidence um, in trying to pursue a new relationship with someone she had put on weight and she just didn't believe in herself and he kind of knew how to ma- manipulate, manipulate her. her. Yeah. 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 So from, so I met him, he came into our lives when I was six and he was in and out of our lives until I was 11 and he came in, with two other children. So he had two other children from previous relationships and he would bring his children into our home, leave them with my mom to raise and look after and just vanish, just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And then at age 11, um, he decided he was leaving the country for good. And so he took my sort of stepbrother and my stepsister with him and he went back to Spain uh, because he was originally from Spain and and that was it and that that raised a lot of questions because i wondered why why would my father not love me and not take me with him you know or have done this horrible thing to me yeah so at the same time even after that happened to you it wasn't like he disappeared then he was still around you for those next few years and i mean that must have been awful for you to have not only the secret that you haven't told your mum about, but not have anyone around you that you've spoken to and have this man still there, I guess even wondering if he's going to do it again. Absolutely. There was always fear. Like my mum wondered sometimes, like, because she would say, oh, do you want to go with your dad to the shops or your dad's going with your sister and your brother? And I'd be like, no, I'll just stay with you. And Sometimes at nights, like, because they would argue, they would have quite a toxic relationship. So she would say to him, right, you're sleeping on the sofa. And if I heard her saying that, I would sneak off to her room in the middle of the night, sleeping in in her room because I was afraid to be in my room. Yeah, the protection. Yeah, yeah. So it was always that. That would always happen. But because he was, he would drink a lot and he would take um, drugs, not only cannabis, but there was one time I actually saw him uh, shooting heroin. And he, so he was in different state of mind. And I was so afraid, like, you know, did, did he even know what he did to me? Yeah. You know, because part of my healing in 2020 was I wrote him an email. And I had to basically tell him, I know what you did to me when I was eight and a half. I remember it. And but I said to him, I forgive you. I wrote all that in an email. And he came back to me to say that I was crazy. I was making up stories. Yeah. And he was going to report me to the police for uh, falsely accusing him and all these kind of things, you know. And yeah. I kind of left it at that. As long the, the main thing for me was getting it off my conscience yeah. and 
releasing that. So once I had that sort of released through the, the, the email, it was just a game changer for me. It just kind of vanished. Hey, yeah, the, yeah. the bother wasn't there anymore. Like now I can think about it and it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. And did you ever tell your mom about what had happened? No, I never told her. And when she passed away, um, my auntie and in America, she said, oh, we better let your stepdad know about your mom. And I said, no, I don't want him to know. I don't want him anywhere near her funeral or anywhere near any of us. I mean, you had and really closed that that portion of your life, hadn't you? So th- there yeah. was no reason that you wanted him back. No. And yeah. you said also that you met your real dad. How old were you when you met your biological father then? So I met my real dad when I was 19. And, and you said that you, you always believed your stepdad was your real dad. Yeah. So yeah. did you find out before you met your dad that your stepdad wasn't your biological father? No. So wow. how it all, yeah, my mom never told me as well. So she kept it a secret. And when I was 18, um, she told me, she says, I've got something to tell you. And she said, your real dad, what happened was we were very close friends and then we tried to have a relationship and it didn't, it just didn't work. And we ended it. And basically three months after she ended the relationship, she found out she was pregnant for me, but she didn't want to tell him because she didn't want him to think that she was trying to trap him basically yeah. in the relationship. So she just kept the secret. No one actually knew my mom was pregnant until I think she was seven months pregnant because she was a big lady. Yeah. And so my stepdad was already on the sort of scene at that time. You know, she met him when yeah. she was around five months pregnant. She knew him from before and she basically told him, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. And he said, it's fine. We'll raise the baby together. The baby will be mine. But when I was born, he was—he had already vanished. Oh wow! He, he disappeared. So it was all my my mom's sort of best friends that were around my mom when yeah. I was born, and so my birth certificate up until today, father just says nil. There's no name there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, just those two things are really full-on things for you to have happen and to find out about and to process from such a young age. Yeah, it, it was tough because when I met my my real dad, there was obviously rules around the meeting. He came back into the town basically suddenly. My mom met him and then she came to me and said, I've met your real father in town today because this was like a year after she told me because she didn't know where he was. And she said, but I've asked him to come over the only thing is you can't say you're his daughter. So I had to keep the secret. Yeah, I had to keep the secret. Oh, so he didn't realise when he came over that you were his daughter? No, didn't know wow. at all. Yeah. And did he ever find out you were his daughter? No. Sadly, wow. I, I always think he came into my life for a reason. I think just to give me sort of um, a closure about who my real dad was, yeah. what I would have had, you know. Yeah. So when I met him, it was more like we were friends, you know, yeah. I, I called him by his first name and, and everything. And he was a rally driver and I love like sports cars, rally cars and motorbikes and that sort of thing. So I used to spend a lot of time with him at like the rallies and I used so to go to support time him. With him. Yeah, I spent time with him. But, but you weren't allowed friend, to tell him that you were his daughter. daughter. 
Wow, yeah, that must have yeah. been really hard for you because, look, I don't know about um, finding out that someone is my father, but I would imagine the excitement and wanting to just, he's your dad, you know, hug him and say, dad, it's me, you yeah. know, that must have been really hard on you. It was so hard because I was, I was so angry, you know, at my mum. Yeah. But I loved, I loved my mum so much and I always felt like she made the right decisions on yeah. the way she handled things because she didn't want things to change between her and him. Like yeah. they were still good friends. Yeah. And he had had another child. Like my mom was pregnant for me. Three months later, he, well, he had left. Uh, he didn't know anything. He met someone else and she got pregnant. So I've got a sister who's the same age as me. And, and we're does three she months know apart. you're her sister? She does, but we have, it's not a close relationship we have. Yeah. So my, my, my dad also had a son. He, he's the older one. And him and I are very close. My, my mm. older brother, my half brother. Um, and when I met like with my dad's family, so what happened was my dad also died suddenly. So I got to know him for two years and his kidneys failed basically and he, he, he died so suddenly. And I was so distressed by this because I felt like I had all this time to tell him and I could have told him and it could have made a difference in our lives. But, yeah. you know, because of my mom yeah. saving her and, and everything. So I got snuck to my father's funeral Basically, my mom didn't want me to go because she said, you know, people will ask questions. Why are you there? Who, what, you know, how did you know him? What is your relationship? But so my, my cousin, she was kind of a, like a rebel and she took me and she said, no, we're going, we're going to go to your dad's funeral. And she knew a woman there that was very close to my dad. And she told this woman purposely, she said, oh, by the way, um, this is also Godfrey's daughter. And they looked at me and my dad's sister was there and they look over at my sister, my mom, my, sorry, my dad's sister. And we are identical, basically. I look wow. like her. She looks like me. Yeah. Wow. So everybody's kind of like looking and wondering, <laughs> who is she? You know, <laughs> it was quite a strange setting, but it opened the door basically for me to know my father's family because soon after that, I met my, my dad's brother and um, my dad's best friend. And it was just so nice to be welcomed by them. Yeah. And they said, you know, we, we don't need any DNA tests or anything because you just look like your auntie. And even though I look like my mom as well, but they said, you know, you're there. It's the DNA doesn't lie, you know. Yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> yeah. that's brilliant, isn't it? That it, Eventually it all came around to giving you your peace of mind and being accepted into something that you had sort of missed out on. Absolutely. Yeah, the the whole, my whole life, I just wanted a father figure, yeah. you know, and someone to be acknowledged to say, like, I have a dad. So having sort of lost two dads in my life and then gaining a big whole new family was just yeah. like so amazing. And the connection that I have with my brother is just phenomenal. You know, you would think we are completely 100% linked. We're not half siblings. Yeah. But yeah, the love there is so strong. Wow. Look, that's amazing. It, it, this is what I said about your story is there's so many different factors and, and variables in your life and to come to where you are 
I mean, you, you've you've done it tough, and, and and you've you've come to this position, and you've rediscovered yourself, and and slowly let all these bits that weren't working let go, and connected with other bits, which has really rounded you out, hasn't it? Absolutely. I feel I had to go through all of this in my life to, to truly appreciate who I am and why I'm here to serve and to help others. And because of what I've been through, I can then help others who have been through it too because they don't know how to get the help or yeah. to, to get their head around what's happened to them. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying like, it's okay to have been abused and stuff. No, it's wrong. You know, people that do that to people, it's wrong. Yeah. But we have to come to a place in our life of self-acceptance to accept and allow for that continuation and not let that thing totally take away your life. Yeah. I spoke to uh, uh, Dr. Denitza, I can't remember her surname, uh, but from the Forgiveness Project. And right. she was molested by her brother for, I think, about six or seven years. Um, and she wrote a book on it. And now she talks to people about forgiveness and says, look, I could have spent my whole life hating what he did to me, but yeah. I realised that if I forgave him, I could move on from it. And she said it doesn't always mean that you forget, but you know that sitting and dwelling on it doesn't help. And it it doesn't mean you have to uh, forget what happened, but you have to forgive so that you can then release the anger inside you and turn that into something more positive. And now she talks to people around the world about uh, abuse, abuse survivors. Um, she's worked in child uh, protection. She's worked in law enforcement. And like yourself, she's doing good for the community. Um, and, and, you know, hat off to you because... Yeah, I, I think uh, what you've been through, I, I don't know how I would feel. I don't know how I would cope. Uh, but hopefully I'd have the um, passion for life that you have because it, it's yeah. phenomenal what you've been through. Thank you for saying that, Daniel, because it's not easy to come through it. I'll tell you that. But the thing is, you never, you shouldn't give up on yourself. You always value yourself above everything, above anyone that has put you through that suffering. Yeah. And she's so right about the forgiveness part because that was my sort of last piece to my puzzle. So many times I tried to say, like, I'll forget about it. I'll just forget about it. And it would come back. It would start haunting me again. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. But when I did the forgiveness practice, um, that sort of released everything. It just, I actually felt like this weight lift off my body. And the other thing, when I was harboring all that um, anger and negative energy, it was causing illness in my body, like yeah. physical illness. Yeah. Like I was sick. Doctors couldn't even understand what was going wrong with me because I started to develop sort of autoimmune diseases and just things, strange things were happening and just couldn't get their heads around it. But the more I I dug deep and read more about it, there's another book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wallen. And it talks about trauma that is from genetical trauma and how it it just goes through all sort of the family like um, generations. And 
I read on this book and I tell you, it opened up my mind so much about the healing journey. Yeah. And yeah, so that's how I embarked on my own healing journey was to heal myself first and then teach others how to do it for themselves as well. You know, I very much appreciate we have doctors, we have psychologists and everything in life and they do make a great difference in our lives, but most of our own healing or solutions to our problems is already within us. Yeah. And you're so right because, I mean, I was in a relationship when I was married and I don't blame my partner at all, um, but there were things in the relationship that weren't working and there was information that was withheld from me um, and I became very sick and got all those autoimmune diseases and it's funny because I didn't want the relationship to end, but three to four weeks after it ended, um, a friend of mine and her mother, and this friend is about 10 years older than me, and her mother was in her 80s or 90s, but her, her mother, who was blind as well, said, Dan, it is so good to hear you laugh and to hear the happiness in your voice, which we didn't hear when you were married. And I went, oh, actually, I know, yeah, I know what you mean. I feel happier. And they said there were times we saw you and, you know, you just seemed so devoid of who you used to be. Um, and coming from a woman who's blind, who can hear the difference in my voice and how I'm feeling was yes. phenomenal and made me realise that, well, yes, I had, and look, I'm still sick with a few things, but I was able to come back up quite a long way once I was out of that relationship, which at the time of being in it, I didn't see anything wrong with it until I was out and I could reflect on it and see what had happened. Then I went, oh, my God, these things happened and that's why I'm like I am. Absolutely. It's amazing when you start to heal and come back to yourself. Yeah. And I think if I'm not wrong, I think you're very much an empath, Dan, and you pick up energies from other people, even subconsciously, you're picking up these energies and they sometimes can be detriment to our own well-being, our own health, when we're empath and we don't know how to manage other people's energies and not absorb them, but yes. rather observe them, you know. <laughs> it's just a lot of brain training and sort of thing, yeah. It is, but and you're right, because we do absorb a lot of energy from people, and there are times when you feel in yourself that, oh, actually, I feel really heavy and like, you know, almost like I can't breathe properly. And then I always say to people, there's nothing wrong with crying. And I know that when I have a really good cry, I might feel really exhausted afterwards for the rest of the day, maybe the next day. But then you yeah. sort of feel a lot better as if like you've discarded all the wasteful emotion that you've got in you that you don't need. Absolutely. I agree. You have to release that sort of pent up energy, you know, and yeah, crying, listening to some really good music, upbeat music, dancing it off, spending time with in nature, like trees are so healing, you know, all these sort of things, you know, connecting with the elements. But no, absolutely, when when we don't harbor these things anymore in our body, we don't have the physical illnesses and the mental illnesses because both are connected. The, once you get the mind right, 
you get the body right as well. You know, things start to work properly. Our chakras start to, to work properly. Everything is in alignment. I know there's a lot of mental health issues now around what happened with COVID, but I think we're in almost an era now of governments realising that people need more mental health support. And it's not such a... I hope it's not such a big stigma as it was five, 10 years ago. And I hope this is, uh, I guess, uh, a new a new era of acceptance of mental health because you're so right that if your mental health is down, your physical health will be too. And I think, uh, you know, you see all those memes on uh, Instagram and Facebook and that of, you know, someone giving someone flowers because they've broken their leg and then someone's got depression and there's no one there. And I think that we will start to see a connection between both and a lot more people who have now experienced it, who had never experienced it before. You know, we had uh, husbands and wives and girlfriends and boyfriends, boyfriends and boyfriends, girlfriends and girlfriends who were living in a bubble with their partners. And, you know, they're not used to being 24-7 with that person. You get in a relationship with a person, but you go to work and you have your work colleagues. You might go out and have drinks with your friends and then you come back to your relationship. And we saw divorce increase and um, a domestic violence increase and all these things because people just, it turned their whole world upside down. And because we've seen all those things, hopefully everybody has a li- little bit more empathy towards those other people where they used to go, oh, that's the person with depression or that's the person with anxiety or that's the person with bipolar, you know, they're a bit weird. Now people are going to go, well, actually, I've got a bit of anxiety now or I've got a bit of depression or I might have been diagnosed with bipolar. Any one of those mental health issues that now they're looking at people in a completely different way. It's not the person to be feared. It's probably the person to be learned from and to ask them, how do you manage? How do you cope? Have you got any tips for me? You know, because lived experience works really well for both sides and the acceptance for people who do have a mental health issue is phenomenal for them because they can then talk about what they're going through but then also if they can pass their experience on to someone else that's a really great synchronization isn't it absolutely and this whole COVID thing yeah despite the the devastation it's brought with with a lot of things it's also brought something positive and that's been about the connection yeah, you know, and the relation oh, people can now relate to one another because before, like our social media or, or television, whatever, is just filled with stuff that is about like conditioning, conditioning. You yeah. know, people are supposed to look perfect. People are supposed to be perfect. You know, this is the the world we've been raised in from day whatever. But people are really realizing now that it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay because you are unique the way you are. And the way I see the puzzle of life is we are all pieces of jigsaw. We're not going to be the same. We're not going to be in the same size, but we're all going to come together and we're all going to make this beautiful picture of life. And this is now people are realizing the importance of connection, the importance of sharing, whether it's been something they were ashamed of or something that they feel like they'll be judged, but they're now becoming more bold and brave because in their sharing, they're finding that other people are coming up and saying, you know what? I really needed to hear that today because I've been struggling with this my whole life. 
and I had no one who can actually understand me. I've been seen a doctor, I've been seen a psychologist, and they don't get it because they've not been through it. And I love what you just said about being part of a huge jigsaw puzzle that we're all different, but we all fit together in some way. Because I always say to people, you know, we have to forget, are we normal? Because normal doesn't exist. We all have different things in our lives. It might be mental health. It might be physical health. It might be difference of opinion, but we're all different. And we don't need to keep saying, oh, am I normal? Am I normal? Because no one is normal. And if you want to be normal, you're not going to be the same as everybody else because there is no normal anymore. We're all a mishmash, hodgepodge of everything. And we all come together and we create great things when we're all thinking similar thoughts and supporting each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to look at life like art, you know, different art, you see different things, isn't it? You and I, we can look at a picture and we can see something different. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I like to look at life like that as well. You know, you're looking at life, I'm looking at life, but we're seeing something different. But we share those things because yes. life is about teaching and learning. That's our and that's journey. Where, that's where the great discussions come up from because if we're both looking at the same picture but seeing different things in it, then we discuss that and then we learn from each other. Well, you saw this and I saw that. How did you yeah. see that? Oh, I saw it this way. You know, yeah. when we work together like that, I mean, what a beautiful place we could be living in. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just brings so much more connection. It brings open-mindedness to people because we've been so conditioned since we've grown up uh, from, from young age through school, education, parenting. And it's time we broke these cycles. You know, it's time we, like, I have two young children. Um, my kids, I like to let them make choices in their life. I don't like to make choices for them. I like to guide them and say to them, right, you want to make this choice? This is the consequence if you're making choice A or choice B. So what is your choice? I don't tell them, no, you can't do that. You have to do this because that, again, is like conditioning them and putting limitation, you know. So it's the same as an adult being told, you can't say that. And why why can't I say it? You know, there's freedom of speech. Uh, this is who I am. And the thing in life, we need to accept people the way they are, not the way we want them to be. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, look, we're running out of time. Do you want to tell people what your Instagram handle is, where they can find you? Yeah, sure. So you can find me at LJV Coaching. And um, I am the same for my website, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, just look up LJV Coaching in Google and it will take you to all the platforms. That's beautiful. And if you want to watch the live interview, no, live interview, live conversation that Leandra and I had on Instagram, you can go to my page, which is life underscore changes you underscore podcast and look under the videos and you'll see one from a couple of months ago that we did. And then you'll be able to put a face to the voice you're hearing now and see how young and beautiful Leandra is and how old I am. (laughs) Oh, no. You look amazing, Dan. That's something I'm going to help you with, your self-belief. But you look fantastic. But I've always said from day one, like when I started watching your podcast, your, your conversations, like this energy that you emit, you emit this beautiful healing energy. And I understand now why is 
what you do with, with, you know, with your job and everything. And it makes total sense because you're just in the right place. You are the right person for the job. I like to think that I always live by compassion and kindness. And if you live like that, then you can't really go wrong. But, you know, compassion and kindness will get everybody to where they need to get to. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, I'm going to have to have you back later in the year because there's still so much that I wanted to cover with you. I've got yeah. a list like this and uh, <laughs> people can't see is uh, two hands wide. And, uh, you know, Leandra has got such interesting uh, insight into life. And as you've just heard what she's been through and what she's doing now, you can see that this lady is a person to watch and a person to go and see if you want some life coaching and follow her just for her daily updates and feel a bit more positive and see different things in your life they hadn't realized were inside you so thank you thank you so much and we'll speak soon thank you take care bye-bye well that was another episode of life changes you if you want to contact us we're available on facebook twitter and instagram and we also have a website lifechangesyou.com.au so until next time take care of each other and thanks for listening